actually a central theme that's woven throughout the scripture, especially when it comes to the character of God. Uh, Because throughout the Old Testament, God is depicted as a divine host who cares for his people, creating spaces of provision, of nourishment, of fellowship, and relational connection. So let me give you like a very quick uh, few examples of this. In the book of Exodus, God prepares manna and quail on a daily basis for Israel and the wilderness, in the wilderness. He's like this meal preparer, right? Uh, in Psalm 23, 5, God is said to prepare a table before David, before his enemies, as a dinner host. Um, in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, when God talks about how, when he will return, what does he liken it to? He likens it to a messianic feast where there's going to be rich food and well-aged wine. Now, one of my favorite examples, which I kind of shared at our Abai prayer night, comes to us in Leviticus 23:22, where God is giving the farmers of Israel instruction. And he tells them to do something that was revolutionary when it comes to hospitality, and it was not practiced by any other people group. Uh, this is what he tells them. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Do you see what he's saying here? He gives instructions to the farmers uh, that whatever the farmers have sown, he instructs them to leave the edges for those who are in need, for the sojourner, for the poor, so that they have enough to eat. God actually legislates hospitality into the laws of Israel because it's a reflection of his character. Now, in the New Testament, we see Jesus continue to embody the hospitality of God. And this is something I emphasized over and over in the Gospel of Mark series. But what is Jesus always, what is he always doing? He's always inviting and eating with the marginalized, the stranger, into meals that were scandalous in light of the practices of the culture at the time. He keeps getting into trouble because even though it's not his own home, he keeps acting as a divine host and inviting people, strangers and sinners and those who are excluded to become friends and family in his newly formed community of Jesus followers. Remember, Jesus is always leaving a meal, going to a meal or at a meal in the gospels. And it's not because he was constantly hungry, but it's because hospitality was at the heart of who he is. You could almost think of Jesus' ministry as one of making space for those who were excluded from spaces of acceptance, belonging, and community. Think about our definition of hospitality. The process of transforming strangers, foreigners, those not like us, into friends. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? Think about who his disciples were. This ragtag group of people, this mixed bag of what? political uh, figures, uh, fishermen, traders, um, these people who should have never been together, people he should have never been associated with. But through the extending of hospitality, by eating together, sharing a meal together, sharing conversation, creating a space of love, he transforms them into friends. What does he say to the disciples in John 15, 15? He says, no longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And here's the thing. As people who have been called to embody who Jesus is, we have been called to extend and embody the hospitality of God to other people. 
to create spaces in our church where the person next to you is transformed from a stranger, someone different from you, someone that you don't know, maybe just a simple church acquaintance, into a friend, and better yet, into a family member in the household of God. Amen? Now, for the rest of our time, uh, let's answer three questions to kind of unpack this idea and on a more practical level. Okay, I want to answer three questions for the rest of the sermon. Who are we called to show hospitality to? What does it look like to show hospitality? And what needs to happen in, our, in order for us to grow in our practice of hospitality? Uh, let's go to our first question. Who are we called to show hospitality to? Now, this might seem like a really easy question, uh, at least on a superficial level, uh, because the answer, of course, is you show hospitality to everyone. But I think our world is much more complex than that. You know, when it comes to creating spaces for people, we all have an economy of value, a metric that we use to determine whether someone is allowed into our space or not. Uh, For example, for many of us, it's based on someone's usefulness. You know, I always see on Instagram, and they always make it sound like it's wisdom, but I think it's not. Um, They always say, like, if someone doesn't contribute to your life, get rid of them, right? They're just extra baggage. That's a very utilitarian way of viewing friendship, where someone's value is based on their usefulness. Like, if you're not getting anything out of it, they have no reason to be in your life. But a lot of us, it's based on our usefulness. What do they bring to the table? Uh, Others, it's based on common interests. You know, we all have a tendency to congregate with those who uh, play the same sports, who are around the same age, uh, who have the same taste in music. You know, when you observe people uh, in, you know, in their close group of friends, they all dress the same, or they listen to the same type of music, or they like doing the same things. And we usually stick with those who are like us. And this is how the world is essentially organized. And of course, the reasons are simple. We love to connect with those who like what we do, who reciprocate that. And it's comfortable. You know, I'm going to admit, it's really hard to connect and love people who are very different from you. It takes a lot of work. It forces you to kind of get outside of yourself. So we rather stick with those who reflect our own image. Now, I know I'm making it sound really bad. It's not all bad, right? It's great to have people who are like you, who, people who get us. But the church is actually a very interesting space. Because we get people from all types of social circles into this room. There are people from all walks of life, different generations, trying to do life together. But even within the church, we live by a similar economy of value. And a culture of exclusion is still at play. You know, we might not be as blatant and mean as the world around us when it comes to who we genuinely welcome. But at a fundamental level, we are still using the same metrics for friendship and hospitality. Um, If you guys ever read the book of Galatians, that was kind of the reason why there was the controversy. You know, if you read Paul's letters, it's always the same. There's always like, hello, I'm Paul, I'm apostle, whatever. And then he has a section where he he commends the church that he's writing to. He says, you're awesome, you're doing great work, you're doing all these things. The only letter that that's missing is the book of Galatians. And it's because he's so furious that the Galatian church is using the world's economy of value to determine who was welcomed into the family of God and who was not. If you guys remember, Peter, you know, it's kind of like the school lunch scene. He's sitting with the Gentiles who are uncircumcised and he's fellowshipping with them. But the minute these hardcore Jewish Christians come in, 
telling people that you have to obey the Torah and that you have to get circumcised to be welcome, he caves into their demands and he leaves the Gentile Christians and only hangs out with the Jewish Christians. And Paul is saying that is not the gospel. The reason we are part of the family of God is not based on external markers. The only thing that binds us together is faith in Christ. No matter what ethnic background, no matter what you do, the thing that binds us together is our faith in Jesus Christ. And you guys have to get this. Our church, this church space is meant to be countercultural where we offer hospitality to everyone. You know, this is the reason why our uh, leaders, we chose to phrase it as generous hospitality. The world is stingy and narrow and limited when it comes to who they give hospitality to. But we are called to be generous and wide, where all types of people are welcomed into our family, where the common denominator that binds us together isn't like that you play basketball and I play basketball. I haven't found anyone here who plays basketball, so <laughs> I've been feeling a little lonely because uh, of that. But, um, or, or because you are this race or that race, or because you come from this background, or you're this age or that age. What binds us together is our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are brothers and sisters given the privilege to welcome one another into our lives. You know, one thing I used to tell my old church uh, is, I wouldn't be friends with most of you if it wasn't for Jesus. Uh, because they're not the people that I was used to hanging out with or eating with. There's nothing that we have in common on a superficial level, but our friendship is deep because at the fundamental level, on the most important level, what binds us together is that we have been saved by Christ. You know, I hope that as we build this community and as more and more people are coming, I hope when outsiders come, they're confused by who we hang out with. That to the world, it doesn't make sense that you and I are sitting across from each other having a meal because they can't figure that out. I hope that we can be that type of countercultural community at a life church. Uh, the second uh, question that I want to answer is what does this actually look like to show hospitality? Uh, I was going to give you like 10 things, uh, real practical here, but I'm going to just limit it to four that you can start doing today. Um, the first thing, Uh, in terms of showing hospitality is to have a holy curiosity towards other people. It's to have a holy curiosity towards other people. Now, what do I mean by this? I think one of the most powerful and best ways to practice hospitality is to be curious about the stories of other people. You know, part of the reason why you exclude is because we just don't know or understand the people that are different from us. But sitting down and creating a welcoming space where we are genuinely curious about the story of the other person can help us find con- connection points that break down walls and allow people into our lives. To transform them from people that are different from us into people that we know and that we love. I mean, do you understand that this act, this simple act of sitting and getting to know the story of other people can even transform enemies into friends? You know, in L.A., uh, there was a ministry uh, done by a church in downtown uh, where they were, seeking to bring, uh, they were seeking to help bring restoration between the black community and the police. As you guys know, in L.A. especially, there is tension between the black community and uh, the police, uh, especially during the pandemic where there was a lot of police brutality stories that were being brought out. And what this ministry did was they would put on regular events where they would invite people from the black community and people, uh, police officers to sit down at the table and share one another's stories, 
to gain perspective towards one another. And it was powerful. It was in this hospitable space that people found out that they had more in common than they had initially assumed. That they weren't as bad as they made out each other to be because of the media. And this is the power of being curious. And so what I want to do is challenge you to practice generous hospitality by knowing the story of each person in this church, especially those that you don't vibe with. Sit down, grab a meal, grab coffee, and get to know one another. Do you know when I feel the most loved, to be honest, is when people are curious about me. You know, it's rare that we sit down and people are more curious about the other person than what you want to say to that person. There is power in those things. And my goal, we don't have that many people at this church, so I think it's doable in like a year. Grab a meal with one person and get to know the other person's story. Um, so that's one thing uh, that we can do uh, to show hospitality. The second thing is to build bridges of connection. I remember one of the things that my pastor uh, back home used to tell me and the staff is that one of our roles is that we are the connecting points of relationships. And so what we would do is that we would, whenever we met a new person or someone that had difficulty finding community, uh, maybe they were a bit awkward or they just were shy or whatever, we would get to know them and then connect them with people that we knew liked the same things that they liked or that they, we felt like they would vibe with. Or we would create hangouts with people that we were close to but invite others who were new to the community. And this was a space for them to actually make connections with other people. Actually, one of the best ways was, um, actually, she's here. She's from L.A. I don't want to point her out, but she used to play tennis with us. But uh, one of the best ways was actually we invited people out to play tennis. So on Monday nights, a group of church members, they just wanted to play tennis together. But soon enough, it became the place where every new person who wanted to play tennis or who kind of played tennis came. And it was a space for them to connect in a very non-awkward situation. See, there's so many things that we can do to build bridges of connection. And I want to challenge the people that are not new, but the people who have been here for a long time. If you have social standing here, if you have connections with people, I want to challenge you, you are the bridge makers, right? And I want to challenge you to use your social standing to connect others together. Invite people into those areas of connection. So that's the, the second thing, what it looks like to show hospitality. The third thing is to open up your homes. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this, but the early church lived in an era of time when hotels, they were non-existent. And so what middle class and upper class uh, Christians would do to practice hospitality is that whenever they would build a house, they would, uh, in, they would put in an extra room that they would call the Christ room. And this is what an early church father named Chrysotham wrote. Make for yourselves a guest chamber in your own house. Set up a bed there. Set up a table there and a candlestick. Have a room to which Christ may come. Say this is Christ's cell. This, is, this building is set apart for him. And for a thousand years, Christians would actually practice this, where uh, the home of a follower of Jesus was a sacred space of hospitality. Now, I know most of you don't have money to insert an extra room into your house, uh, but which would be nice. Uh, but I believe God has given all of us everything to steward for his kingdom. And your home, your apartment is not just for you. I know that's your private space, but I believe that God owns all things and he has called us to steward uh, whatever he has given us. And to be honest, there is nothing in life that says that you were welcome into my life 
than inviting someone into the privacy of your home. Almost all of my deepest conversations where I felt like I belonged happened in front of a meal that was prepared by someone in their home, where I felt healing, where I felt accepted, where I felt I was part of the in-group was when I was invited into someone's home and we dined and there was hospitality in that place. And so for those of you who have homes, who have apartments, open it up. If you don't have homes, make your coffee shop a home that you frequent. Maybe that's your sacred space that you invite others into. Be creative. You know, do that. Now lastly, really quickly, it looks like to show hospitality, is I want to challenge as we do life groups. Have a one-on-one meal with every single life group member in your life group. I think the weekly meetings are great, but it's so hard to get to know people on a deep level. And I think we don't leave it up to the um, life group leader to do all the work. You know, I already told them it's mandatory that they have to meet up with you, a one-on-one, okay? So they will reach out. But for you, I want to invite you into, into that. And I guarantee you, the minute that you do that, it will even make your weekly group meetings even more powerful as there is more connection and vulnerability that's happening. Sounds good? Okay, so that's your four homework, okay, uh, that I want to give to you. Now, let's end. We'll end really quickly. The last uh, question that we want to answer is, what needs to happen to us uh, to live this type of life? Because it's not easy to live a life of hospitality. I, I will guarantee that. It takes a lot for you to live this type of life. Now, one truth that I've known in my life is that there are some things in life that you cannot do unless you've experienced it first. For example, You cannot love well unless you've been loved well. People who are really loving is because they come from relationships where they have been modeled what actual love looks like. And it's the same thing with hospitality. If you have not experienced deep hospitality, you will not have the motivation nor the model on how to extend hospitality to other people. But the thing is, many of you feel like you haven't, but you have actually been the recipient of the most radical show of hospitality in the history of mankind, and that is in the gospel. Okay, read with me in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a long passage, but stick with me, uh, 11 through 19. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the earth uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see the definition of hospitality in that passage? All of you were once strangers, alienated from God. Sinners who were separated from the household of the family of God. But you have been brought near and have been made citizens, have been made part of his family through the blood of Christ. 
do you guys realize that you are recipients of the hospitality of God? That the gospel story is about hospitality. And if this is true, how could I not extend hospitality to others? If God, who is holy and sovereign, who had every right to exclude you from the blessings of God, invited you in by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you might be part of his community, how can I allow superficial differences to keep me or inconveniences to keep me from loving you and extending hospitality to you? Do you realize that when we extend hospitality to one another, we are proclaiming the gospel to one another? You are reenacting the story of the gospel every time you welcome those who are different from you. This is, the, this is a gospel act. This is what it means to live out the gospel. So this is not like some side command. This isn't something that, oh, just a life church wants to do. But it is what's woven throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And it is the command of God. Now, one thing I do want to say, it's not in my notes, but this hospitality has to be extended even to the world. Do you realize that the uh, early church took over the Roman Empire in less than 300 years? And it wasn't because they had celebrity pastors. It wasn't because they decked out their churches to look really cool, right? But it was the hospitality of the church. I think a lot of times when it comes to the church growing or wanting to make it powerful, I mean, we think about the obvious things like prayer, like preaching, like doing this or that, but we rarely forget that hospitality blew up the church in the first 400 years. People could not understand why they were welcomed into their community. And that embodied the gospel. So when they proclaimed the gospel, they were first hearing it, and then when they experienced the hospitality of God, they were experiencing the gospel firsthand. And they could not deny it. This is what we want to do at a life church. This is what we want to do in our life groups, on our Sunday services. When you guys hang out without me there, right? That you guys are being generous in your hospitality to one another. This is the church that we want to be. Let's pray. Uh, I want to invite you guys to stand.